Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Donald McIntyre and this is Click for Murder, the companion podcast to CBS Reality's new television series. Now, throughout this series, we're revealing some of the most disturbing crimes of recent history, where the internet has been used as a tool to trick, torture and to kill innocent victims lured into a virtual world where nothing is quite what it seems. On today's episode, we're looking at the case of Joshua Davies, the 15-year-old A-star student who seemed the perfect boyfriend for 14-year-old Rebecca Aylward. But when they broke up, he waged a 10-month online war that ended with him brutally murdering his ex-girlfriend. But why? Well, joining me to discuss this intriguing case are Dr Elizabeth Yardy, Associate Professor and Director of the Centre for Applied Criminology at Birmingham City University. Welcome, Liz. Hello. And Clinical Forensic Psychologist Mike Berry. Welcome again, Mike. Thank you. Okay. well, let's get some background to the case. Rebecca was a bright, popular girl who had ambitions to be a lawyer. She came from a loving family and lived in the Welsh town of Aberkenvig near Bridgend. Joshua Davies was part of her large group of friends and was academically gifted. He was smart, charming, popular and enjoyed and was good at sports. Well, in September 2009, they started dating and friends and family were happy that Becca, as she was known, had found herself a nice, affable young man. And they were apparently besotted with each other. Now, how would you describe this relationship as it appears at first glance, Liz? Well, at first glance, this appears to be something that is completely normal. These are two teenagers that appear to have taken a shine to each other. And there doesn't appear to be anything concerning at this point in time. There was nothing to alert the family or indeed anyone else naturally around them at that stage that he was a danger, a potential killer. But we do know, Mike, that there was another side to Joshua. Yeah, as with a lot of teenagers, there are several sides to them. He's got this kind of side with a girlfriend. Then he's got a different approach at school where he's seen much more violent. He's using violence to manipulate people in a school situation. And why he's doing that, I suppose, is survival in a different environment. But I quite, the interesting thing is he's really kind of prone to kind of to overreact to rejection and criticism, mm. direct criticism. So I'm looking at this stage, this little red flag, minor red flag in respect of his, you know, dislike of rejection and, and criticism. Mm. But in what way does he differ from most teenagers? And this is the, the really troubling thing with this case, isn't it? Because how do we distinguish some typical teenage behavioural traits from behaviour that is potentially dangerous? Are we going to look at every teenager who's a bit narcissistic, a bit egocentric and say you're a potential murderer? 
But despite the couple appearing to be love's young dream during that Christmas holidays of 2009, Joshua Davies broke up with Becca and she was devastated. And we're beginning now to see the other side of Joshua Davies. Online and at school, he tried to persuade his friends to shun Becca and claimed she was a slag and that she tried to get pregnant on purpose with his kid. And she was then forced to defend herself in person and online and refused to let those accusations go unchallenged. I mean, this is a very dark side of a personality. I think he's somebody who quite enjoys playing with people. He likes being the architect of this drama and this chaos and then and watching as, as other people react to it. So he really is creating these little circuses. Is this online bullying we're seeing here, Liz? What it could be is that he's making her pay for not giving him what he wanted, maybe. There's there's a bit of a vengeance going on here. Why does he want others to shun her? Because that values his behaviour more. If they support his view that she's a slag, that she's uh, a nobody then that supports his view. He doesn't want everybody to say, oh, she's wonderful, she's great. That wouldn't do his ego any good at all. So, you know, has he changed or why has he changed or is this the same Joshua exhibiting all the same skills, you know, the charm, the manipulation and now this is an extraordinary kind of sense of a predatory kind of aggressive behaviour against an ex-girlfriend. I think what we're seeing here is is different ways in which he's asserting control. And I think that it can be as simple as that. Mike, you know, the fact that the abuse is now online and this tit-for-tat kind of uh, debate was now online, does that mean the language can become more abusive, more extreme and frequent uh, online, therefore more impactful? When you get on the internet, people become disinhibited. It's the alcohol effect almost. They become disinhibited. They say things they wouldn't say to somebody in the face. They'll say it quite happily on the internet. And you see this on hotel reviews. You see it on reviews of everything. People go over the top very, very quickly. Now, if we've got a relationship where there's interaction, then that hypes it up. It escalates from just being nasty and rude to vitriolic very Mm. quickly. Well, interestingly, away from school and uh, via social media, Uh, Joshua would be friendly to Becca. Uh, Let's hear from Becca's school friend, Irving. They would talk uh, a lot on MSN. She'd send me screenshots of their conversations. And a lot of the time, they'd come up and actually have a genuinely really nice conversation. Like, he was so on and off with her. And she always did quite like him. So it seems to me there's a kind of continuing hint of manipulation here. He wanted to shun her publicly, but privately... He was still playing the game and teasing her and and being charming. He is like a scientist who's conducting a rather twisted experiment, pushing her buttons one way, seeing how she reacts, pushing her buttons the other way. And all of this is is part of a a pattern of controlling behaviour. Despite being friendly towards Becca face-to-face, his public attacks still continued. And unsurprisingly, Becca stood up to him and defended her name, and this led to a furious response. Well, during the summer term of 2010, Joshua Davies began exchanging online messages with his friends that started to make explicit threats to harm Becca. Now we're talking about an escalation of an extraordinary scale, Liz. This is very concerning. Well, he's getting quite detailed in some of the things he's saying. He's talking about how he'd go about drowning her or poisoning her. But I think for for his friends coming across this this type of language, these these type of scenarios, I'm sure that 
all of us have had that kid at school who was a bit of a fantasist who used to exaggerate and embellish and come up with tall stories. I think that's the way they would have interpreted that behaviour. Is this an escalation? Is this something to worry about? Or is, is this normal teenage behaviour? I'm thinking not. I think it is normal behaviour to say, right, I'm going to get back at her. He's treating her in a bad way. He's escalating it. But as, as Lily said, this is kind of stuff that kids would say. Oh, I'll go and smack her his head in if he's, if he's, somebody's causing you trouble or oh, I'll go and let his tires down or I'll do this and this and people know it's, it's all no. it's all it's a load of rubbish nonetheless when he talks about the detail of drowning and poisoning I mean poisoning for me it seems a very odd kind of uh, Victorian crime it's a really odd thing for, for a teenager like Joshua to raise there's yeah. something odd here poisoning does stand out a little bit doesn't it because if you think about what teenage lads are doing they're watching gangster films they're playing violent video games those types of things so so I think when they're making these these kind of empty threats that, that many teenagers do they're drawing on those kind of representations but poisoning is, is something that is a little bit off the wall isn't it but why aren't his mates concerned why don't they do something at this early stage? Because he hasn't got the facilities to commit these offences. We talk about poison. I doubt very much if he's got any rat poison. He has to go and register to get most of the dangerous poison. So he's not going to use that. As far as we know, he's got no access to guns or anything like that. So he's not dangerous at this stage. I get the fact that a thought crime may be a safety valve. I get that. But this is go- is so pervasive. It's going on for hours. And it's in a public-private space. Surely somebody there in that space would have been concerned and said, hmm, this is crossing a line here. Well, you've got to think, who were the other people in this space? They were all teenagers, like Davis and like Becca, and they have limited experience of the world, and, and they don't know those things to look out for that, that mark that distinction between fantasy and reality. Well, he put emojis against some of his threats and descriptions of how he would kill her. At this stage, do we think that insofar as his friends thought it was not to be taken seriously, do you think in his own mind this was a genuine plan? It's difficult, isn't it, looking back, thinking about Davies. He's somebody uh, for whom that line between fantasy and reality is quite a blurred one. And it's very difficult to try and get inside the head of, of somebody like that. He doesn't understand the consequences. We find this with a lot of teenage boys. If they make statements, very macho, but they don't understand the full consequences for that behaviour. He's expressing his anger in a very directed manner. If anything, his friends are likely to get bored. Oh, God, he's on the same old rubbish time and time again. There's nothing in his behaviour that would have bells ringing. To both of you, I suppose, and to you first, Mike, if these threats had been made in a bar face-to-face in real life, then people would have been much more concerned than if they had been made as they were online. Oh, yeah, if if, if um, he'd made that statement and her parents had heard it or a best friend had heard it, and it was in a shop or a pub or youth club or something like that in a public place, yes, people would have got more anxious about it. But it wasn't done in that way, so therefore people don't feel the same uh, anxiety. Yeah, I think that idea of, of social media being a space for teenagers, a space that is kind of protected from adults, from teachers, from parents, you do get these kind of conversations going on. And, and teenagers aren't going to flag that up as, as they might do if it was in a face-to-face situation. But in the summer holidays of 2010, there is an unexpected twist. Despite the seven-month 
hate campaign he'd waged against Becca, the pair began to rekindle their relationship. And I suppose, Liz, the obvious question is, why is she even talking to this boy, let alone hanging out with him? I think there's, there's been a time when Davis has been quite charming, quite attentive, quite nice to her. And because Becca's somebody who sees the good in people, I think that, that explains her wanting to get back together with him. What is Josh doing here? Is it just exerting more control or is it part of his devious plan? I don't think it's part of his devious plan at this stage. I think he is playing games with her. Plus, he actually likes her, and therefore he's got to he's got to maintain this kind of macho image on the outside, while inside he's probably thinking that she is quite a nice person. Well, despite their reconciliation during the summer holidays, once they returned to school, the online threats re-emerged, and Josh again speaks to his friends on social media about killing Becca, but his mate's attitudes at this stage now appear to be one of boredom rather than of concern. And in fact, as Becca's friend Irving recalls, one of them even offered Joshua a silly-sounding bet. Josh Davidson's friends meet at a cafe regularly for breakfast. Now, in one of their conversations where they were talking about, once again, killing Becca, Josh Davis said to one of them, what would you do if I actually did do it? And um, he said, oh, I'd buy you breakfast. What strikes me about that testimony is that it was so much part of the white noise of their discourse face-to-face and online. I mean, this is really quite extraordinary. And then we have this bet. And in this return to school, there is a return to those old patterns. What's going on here, Liz? I think when you, you're seeing teenage lads talking about this kind of thing, it is that kind of macho, that bravado. They don't want to be the one that backs away and says, actually, this conversation is, is getting a little bit out of control here. That they are just literally going along with it because none of them think that he's ever going to do this. But bravado, I mean, you talk about having sex with this girl or having sex with that girl or, you know, taking that or maybe taking that illicit substance or buying that alcohol. Is this the teenage bravado, I'm going to kill her? Davis wants to make himself stand out from other people. He wants other people to, to notice him and to look up to him and to say, oh, this guy in our group, he's the, the really kind of dangerous one. I think the offering the breakfast really is a very good sign of how dismissive they are towards him about the whole process. You know, the, the flippant, oh, we'll buy you breakfast. It's such a put-down that they are not concerned about his behaviour at all. And they're just bored and get on with it. Tell us who, you, who you're going out with next, who you're drinking, what, what you're dropping. Not killing her. This has now gone on for months, Liz. What effect will this have on Joshua? Is he becoming more frenzied in his thoughts? Is this a, or is this a gradual escalation? He's been making statements like this for, for quite some time. Nobody's been really challenging him about them. Still, looking at this from, from the outside, you know, these teenagers, these, these lads he's hanging around with, they're not criminologists, they're not psychologists. They're not going to be able to, to say, actually, this has gone a bit far now. The breakfast incident, I think that might have triggered him in the sense of, well, they're all taking the mickey out of me, they're not taking me serious. Instead of giving him the green light, it might have been a, a challenge which he's, he's decided to... To, to rise to, but it's still no indication that he's actually going to kill her at the stage of the, the breakfast uh, conversation or later. And I think he's probably got it in his head. It's been going round and round in his head for a long time. We know this with killers. Often they, they have the ideas go there, they're fermenting slowly, and then something leads them on, or they lose obsession and become obsessed by something else. Now, had he met another girlfriend and gotten heavily involved with her... The odds are that 
she would have been safe and alive today. He would have dropped the whole idea and moved on to something else. That, as we sadly know, never happened. On Saturday, the 23rd of October 2010, Joshua asked Becca to meet him near his house. And despite all the online threats, the bullying and the name calling at school, she still agreed. Moreover, it appears she still had a soft spot for her tormentor. As author Lynn Barrett Lee explained, she then made a great effort to impress her ex-boyfriend. She'd chosen her clothes really carefully. She'd painted her nails. She'd done her hair really carefully, um, put on a bit of makeup. Basically done everything she could to make herself beautiful for him. Was she hoping that they would have this summer romance again and uh, they could recover, Liz? Yeah, I think, you know, she wants the, the fairy tale, doesn't she? Many teenage girls you know, aspire to have a boyfriend, a relationship. And especially if you've been out with somebody who's a bit damaged and it's gone wrong and, and you've broken up with them, the thought often of getting back together with them is quite exciting. Why is she still so fond of him? It would appear that she's still in love with him. And she's in love with love, I suspect, more than anything else. And girls at age have a tendency to be in love with love. So he's coming back, the knight on the white horse, into her life, and it's exciting. This is the interesting thing, is that she was quite robust in it. She defended herself online. She was quite, you know, um, uh, strong and defiant and, uh, you know, a real good advertisement for a strong teenage female character in this tragic story. Uh, Do you think that played a part in the escalation of those threats and in his plan or plot for murder? Perhaps it did. Perhaps he saw her as a a bit of a challenge. Um, She was a bit more exciting than the other girls. You know, she was bright, she was intelligent and and she wouldn't stand for rubbish from people. So, So perhaps it was a bit of a challenge for him. Well, while Becca was en route to the meeting point, Joshua was round his best mate's Daniel's house, along with another friend called Liam. Both of these friends had witnessed firsthand Josh's violent messages and threats against Becca, both online and also face-to-face in the real world. They had seen how over months and months... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Their friend had ramped up the violent rhetoric, but still they 
did nothing. They were impassive. Moreover, at the house, Josh announced that today was the day he would kill Becca. And neither friend tried to stop him because presumably they couldn't quite believe that one, he would do it. Or were they caught up in this kind of unreal confluence between the real world and the digital world? Was anything real for them at this stage? I don't think that they ever considered that he would actually go through with his threats. We know that he'd been talking about murder before, so they might have just brushed this off as, oh, he's off on one again, and thought nothing more of it than that. In the sense, because this was these threats mostly were made in the ether of the digital world, is that the reason why these mates, these close friends, simply couldn't quite contemplate that he was actually announcing in that moment, at that day, that he was on the way to kill Becca. If you look at his history, he's been saying this for months and months and months on the internet, and all he's doing is repeating what he said on the internet. They don't take any notice of what he says on the internet, therefore there's no reason why they're going to take any more specific notice on this day of any day what he's saying. I'd agree with that. These conversations that have been happening on, on Messenger and in chat rooms and on social media, I think... A lot of kind of jostling and joking goes on amongst teenagers online and, and some of the most horrendous things that they, they say to one another. They never actually think that this is going to actually happen. After the announcement that he was going to kill Becca, he then left and Becca arrived at the meeting place. But at that stage, there was still no sign of Josh. And fearing that she'd been stood up, she then rang her mom. But then seeing Josh in the distance, she ended the call. And that was the last time she would ever speak to her mother. Josh took her to a nearby woods and then turned on her. First he tried to break her neck, but when that failed, he grabbed a rock and bludgeoned her to death. Now this was a violent personal attack. Why? I mean, it's so perplexing. But there's one major flaw in the whole of this argument. If he had been planning... As long as he says he's been planning to kill her, he would have had a weapon, he would have had the, the means of killing her and disposing of the body. It, this is why I say a lot of it's just hot air and talk. Unfortunately, on the day, he's responded by attacking her. He tries to strangle her, which is the personal way of killing somebody. He clearly hasn't got the know-how, the strength or, or the courage to do that. So he then picks up a rock. That's a classic impulsive killing of a person. To me, he appears to be acting in the moment here. He's picking up a rock that happens to, to be there at the scene. He's not gone prepared. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't an intention to kill. So an intention to kill can be formed in seconds. It doesn't have to be days and weeks and months in the planning. Now, you've discussed and differentiated between pre- and post-incident on other murders you've looked at. In this case, his behaviour post the incident tells us an awful lot about Joshua Davies. So after the murder, one of his mates texts him to ask if he was with Rebecca. And uh, he replies, define with. So this is a man, a young man, who's very much in control after the murder. What does that tell us about the person who committed the murder in the moment? I, I think he, his behaviour post-incident or post-killing uh, her is indicative of somebody who's disassociating from the reality of what he's done. He's almost kind of cut off completely what he's doing, the emotionality of what he's done, the consequences of what he's done, and it's very kind of joking and not not responding the way that most people would respond if they had killed somebody that they loved. Do you think, Liz, that because this was a murder which was born online, that in many ways, in the unreal ether of the digital world, that he still feels as if 
It's still unreal. He, I, he himself probably can't quite believe that he killed it and is now moving this elsewhere. No, I think he, he realises what he's done and he knows that what he's done is wrong. But it is that kind of lack of horror, that lack of disgust that most people have after they've committed a crime like this. So, I mean, he's made all these threats, Mike, online over many months. Extraordinarily explicit conversations about the act of murdering Becca. He even tells his friends, this is the day. How do we marry that with the fact that he appears to have made no plans for the disposal of the body, no direct plans, he doesn't have a murder weapon other than his hands? It's very amateurish in what he's done. He's made all these threats, but he hasn't planned to take a weapon with him. He hasn't planned avoidance. The first thing that most people do is they kill and then run away and they don't think about the consequences. If he's planning this murder over several months, you would expect him to have worked out a story of how she died and ways of avoiding connection with her death and everything else. He hasn't done that. He hasn't done that because he's a 15-year-old without the consequences, the knowledge and the ability to think that far ahead. Do we think that without social media, without the internet, this would have happened? I don't think it would have happened the way it did happen. I think the, the internet has escalated the feelings and also, to a certain extent, made him become dis inhibited but also disassociated his feelings from the reality so he is kind of living in a dream world and when he kills her he's not in the real world that's not to say that he's psychotic and he's uh, having a psychotic episode there's no suggestion of that but clearly the internet I think in this case has wound up things much more and had he not had all these conversations on the internet I don't think he would have killed her After the murder, Joshua called his mates Dan and Liam and asked them to meet at the forest where he'd just killed Becca. Liam had a bad leg, so he couldn't go, but Dan came alone and witnessed what Joshua had done. And on seeing the body, Daniel claimed he went into shock, but said Josh was calm and then set about describing how he had killed Becca. He apparently showed no remorse or emotion. Both left the forest and then met up back at Liam's house, where Josh told Liam to delete all his messages from that day and said... If anyone asks, I've been here with you. And Liam agrees. Now, he's now performing. Is this a performance? He's displaying off this trophy kill, Mike. No, no, I disagree entirely with you. I don't think this is a trophy killing at all. It's none of the the markings of what we'd expect in a trophy killing. Here is somebody who's having carried out what he said he's going to do, is now trying to clear up the mess he's made. And, And very simply by telling... A mate to say, oh, well, it's with you. That is one of the most simple mistakes you can make because you know that's going to break down in, in, a, in a police interview. He's done nothing about avoiding behaviour. He's creating witnesses, he's creating accomplices and he's admitting murder. Yeah, it would appear to be absolutely ludicrous, wouldn't it? But, but we're dealing with teenagers here and, and that's what, what we've got to remember and his attempts to, to clear up after himself are not going to be anywhere near as elaborate as, as any of those those threats that he made before. And his friends, still at this stage, they now know he's carried out these threats and now they've agreed to an alibi. Why? But there are no adults on the scene at this point in time. They are still just a group of teenage lads together, aren't they? And I think as long as there, there is no adult involvement, that there is that kind of feeling of, well, you know, this isn't real. Well, later the friends go online to create an online alibi by claiming on Facebook that they were all chilling together. 
And during the online conversation, Josh even made a reference to the free breakfast one of his mates promised if he went ahead with his threat to kill Rebecca. They appear to be now shielding a killer from the law. I think they're acting very impulsively. They certainly don't understand the consequences of what they're doing, because if they had, they wouldn't have agreed to to do that. Plus, I suspect there's a certain amount of social pressure on them to conform with this idea of what they're doing. Josh is the kind of alpha male in the group. To a certain extent, he's the leader. They're the followers. They're following in that footsteps. Liz, are they incredibly naive to think that this digital cover-up will work? Well, they've never, ever experienced anything like this before, have they? So I don't think they're thinking very much further ahead than the next couple of hours. Well, Becca's mom clearly became concerned and she rang Josh to find out what happened, but he claimed they hadn't even met up. Becca's friends started messaging each other online to find her and, chillingly, Josh even joined in. Now... This is a man fully cognizant of his involvement in this and it does show a certain psychopathy here. I think this is a little bit sinister, isn't it? Because he knows exactly what's happened. He's the only one, arguably, who knows everything that's gone on. And I think perhaps there is a little bit of enjoyment of being involved in this drama and and knowing more than other people, maybe. No, I disagree. I think he's trying to avoid the reality of the situation. It's the, it hasn't happened, it wasn't me. Even though he knows that he's committed the murder, there's that kind of, almost like kids when they have the chocolate on their face to say, it wasn't me, I didn't eat the chocolate. He's going in that kind of very childlike avoidance of reality. I'm not too sure of that. I think it seems smacks to me that now he has delivered on his promises and now he's enjoying and relishing the impact that he is having on the world. I mean, I would have thought that he'd try and avoid having conversations with other people, either face-to-face or online, about Becca's whereabouts. Wouldn't you try and avoid it altogether? No, you do the opposite. This, what we find time and time again is they try to get involved in the finding of the body and things like that. They try to be too helpful. What they should do, as you said, keep out of it, but they try to, to be too helpful. So I don't see his motives as being... Manipulative. Well, they are manipulative, but they're not vindictive, as you're suggesting. I think he's trying to get involved in it because that's what a lot of people feel. I think feel he's taking a, re- a relish and frisson from this. He's enjoying it. This is now the fruit of his long discussed and plans. Well, uh, when I when I put this together with his behaviour after he'd killed Becca, that's what's making it appear sinister to me because that apparent lack of remorse that he showed afterwards of of, of taking his friends to the the scene of the crime and then getting involved in this conversation about her whereabouts is it's these things all starting to come together that cause concern for me. We're not even agreeing to disagree there but we know that at 7.45 the next morning one of his friends cracked. Liam told his parents everything and within hours all three boys had been arrested and taken to Cardiff Bay Police Station. But Josh was still adamant that he wasn't the murderer and claimed that it was his mate Dan who had killed her and he continued this lie throughout the subsequent trial but the jury saw through it and he was convicted ultimately of murder. Why did he try and fit up his best friend? When you look at this in combination with what he did after he'd killed Becca, could we perhaps make the argument that, that he was trying to do this right from after when he killed her by inviting them along to the crime scene? So was this something that had been going on before the trial even began? I mean, that he'd set up his friend from a long way out? I think you're giving him too much credit of intelligence and, and planning because we see so much evidence of not planning 
appropriately. If he, if he planned to set up his friends, he would have committed a completely different murder. Surely he must have known his digital history. This was a crime which is committed online, a crime which was kind of effectively created online. And then, of course, it was his digital history that led to his ultimate conviction. Surely he must have known. He's a teenager. That's all he knows is the internet. His digital history would have led to his conviction. Well, he's, he's left a big, long trail of crumbs behind him. Um, you've got all of that, that hatred and vitriol that, that he's been posting on the internet about Becca. But it is very much that idea of living in the present, isn't it? Not mm. actually reflecting on on what I said six weeks ago or six months ago, not thinking that that's actually going to have an impact on the here and now. He showed no remorse at his trial. That was troubling. And does that tell us the real person that Josh is? I always worry when I hear these people being charged with murder and they're in court and they're gnashing their teeth and crying and that. That makes me feel, yes, they're playing for the jury. In his case, he's not playing the jury, but I still think that he doesn't understand the full consequences. I've been at trials where 14, 15-year-olds have been in the court and they're overwhelmed by the process and they don't really understand what's happening. They just want to get it out of the way as quickly as possible. If we're to take it at face value that he showed no remorse during his trial, you know, is that another indication that he certainly had psychopathic tendencies? Showing no remorse is one of the the psychopathic traits, isn't it? But I think we do need to be quite careful before we apply that label of of a psychopath to him because he was 15 years old at the time that he committed this crime. And often you don't have, you know, fully formed psychopaths who are 15. Yes, they're displaying some traits at that point in time, but it's not actually too late to turn the ship around. Why did he kill her? I think something happened in that moment when he he lured her to that meeting. Perhaps she said something that wasn't consistent with what he wanted to do or how he wanted her to to behave, and he reacted in that moment. And, And that doesn't mean to suggest that he didn't intend to kill her because as we know intention can be formed in in seconds but I think it it, it was a very kind of situational thing I'm not sure there was a huge amount of planning that went into that something obviously happened there or else we have to assume which I tend to believe that I take at face value that he planned to murder over some considerable length of time and this was a plan that he wanted to exercise and eventually although people didn't believe that he was going to execute this plan he did he announced it he engaged his mates he did the job and then basically celebrated the reaction afterwards I think this was a long gestation and he simply did what he promised to do he was a very kind of alpha male I do and I say what I am going to do I think in those circumstances on that day fantasy became reality and and we'll never know exactly what that tipping point was but those those two things merged what kind of social media online killer do we call Joshua Davies how would you define him well, if you look at how Davies used social media, he was a bit of a fantasist, wasn't he? So, so he used social media in a space to, to talk about these horrendous, exaggerated things that he was threatening he was going to do. So I'd say that, that it, was, it was playing a role in terms of, of fantasising for Davies. With a nice dose of narcissistic behaviour to go with it. And I think that there is a, a sense in which he's using social media to inform others about what he's done so he posted the message about well I think you owe me breakfast now on Mm. Facebook 
So so it's always there in the background, isn't it? And I think as social media has become part and parcel of everyday life, it's also becoming part and parcel of everyday murder. But we have trolls on the internet and they are making threats all the time to people and they don't carry that. Very, very few trolls have ever killed. I think the internet allows people to say horrible, nasty things without the consequences. And this is an ongoing problem, isn't it, yes. for society, for social media organisations? How do you know the difference between a threat that is likely to be carried out and one that is just hot air? But still, for me, this still remains a murder very much made online. Well, Joshua Davies was found guilty of murder and jailed for life with a minimum of 14 years to serve. Thank you to my guests, Dr. Elizabeth Yardley and Dr. Mike Berry. And of course, you can watch the full documentary of Click for Murder, Joshua Davies on CBS Reality. From me, Donald McIntyre, for now, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.